What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here for an episode of Vanished in the Valley. So, this week, we are actually going to kind of go over a case that was one of my first cases ever on Vanished in the Valley. And if you go back and listen to them, they're like super shitty because we were just figuring out how to do everything. And there was just so much information in the case. We had to do quite a few episodes. I think it actually at this point is three episodes. So, and it's kind of like a, the 10 year anniversary of Carissa Shell's vanishing. So what I'm gonna do is go over the story of how she went missing and the complete fuckery of the Turlock PD that happened right after her disappearance and just some of the crazy things that have intertwined with her case since she went missing. So, get ready for this. Carissa Ann Shell went missing on the night of April 21st, 2011 from Turlock, California. Now, you guys, she was only 16 years old at the time. And one of the really strange slash fucked up aspects of this case is most, I guess, uh, online media sources have the whole story wrong. They have her listed as staying at a friend's house that night, and a lot of places have her listed as a runaway. Now, that may be because at first, the Turlock Police Department had her listed as an endangered runaway. Even though her mom swears up and down, she never at any point said Carissa ran away. As a matter of fact, she told the police that they had a great relationship, that they actually all had plans the day she had gone missing. But for whatever reason, the Turlock PD listed her as a runaway. And that stayed that way for six months at which time they decided to issue an Amber Alert and switch her to missing. Now, there is a newspaper called the Turlock Journal, and apparently they just hire potatoes to write their stories because they have Carissa listed as endangered runaway, and I personally spoke to whoever runs their Instagram account, and this motherfucker tried to tell me that the Turlock PD said Carissa had been found and that she wanted no contact with her family. Now imagine if one of her family members had been talking to this asshole from the Turlock fucking journal. So that's not true. Carissa has never been found. There was never any statement from anyone saying she didn't want to have contact with her family. So nobody's quite sure where the Turlock journal is getting this information. As of right now, the Turlock Police Department has this case. It's an open case. And check this out, guys. As of today, they're saying there is a new lead in the investigation. They aren't exactly saying what this lead is, but at least it's something on the case. And I actually kind of have some news about her story. So if you go to Podbean and you go to Vanished in the Valley and you check out the episodes there, there's little areas where you can post a comment. And right before I went on my desert extravaganza vacay, I noticed someone had written a little post with just one word. And that one word was cops. So I was just like, okay, who the fuck, <laughs> who comes there and just writes one word? So 
I have actually tried to contact this person. I'm waiting for them to respond to find out what the fuck that could possibly mean. And apparently, there is another post from someone who is saying Carissa actually sent her a message a couple of days after everyone is saying she vanished. So I'm also waiting to hear back from this person to see what the message was, where did the message come from, and if this person believes it was Carissa or someone maybe possibly who had her phone. So there's all kinds of activity and it's probably just because, you know, this is a 10 year anniversary. And when I saw that post, uh, being a fucking, (laughs) being a loyal ID channel watcher, I'm aware that a lot of times people who are involved in crimes will go to, you know, online stories about their crime or whatever and make little posts or comments there. So that's actually kind of what I first thought when I saw that comment that said cops. But there also could be another reason. And I'm actually just going to run through all of Carissa's story to let you guys know everything I found out. Because I was in touch with a couple of her family members. Her brother Chris sat down for like no shit three hours and let me just like pick his brain about the story. So I'm going to get into the background and just kind of give you the lowdown on what happened that night. So this is kind of a fucked up story. You're definitely going to have to wear big boy or big girl panties for this one. And just know it has a lot of drug use. And I'm going to give my opinion at the end of what I think happened to Carissa. And it's not a good opinion. So I'll warn you now if, you know, you don't want to hear it. I'll give you a little warning before I break down what I think happened after talking to everyone. But let's kind of start back at the beginning on April 21st, 2011. So just before I get started on this story, I'm about to tell you this story from memory. Like every single person that I profile, like every missing person, I fucking get to know them. I know their stories inside out and I fucking remember it. I remember all the details on Carissa's story, even though it was over a year ago. Because I, I don't know, just these missing people fucking mean something to me. And if we don't talk about them, if we don't continue to talk about them and keep their name out in the public sphere, then everyone's going to forget about them. Justice won't be served. And nobody will ever find out what happened to Carissa. Her family love her and they want answers. They want justice for her. And that's basically all we're trying to do. So at the end of the episode, I'm going to give you guys some phone numbers that you can contact if you know anything about what happened to Carissa's cell on the night of April 21st, 2011. Most of the story is going to take place at Carissa's foster mom's house. Because on that night, Carissa showed up there and at the house was her foster mom, her biological dad, two foster brothers, and a biological brother. Now, it's been reported from people that were there that night that when Carissa showed up, she was extremely high. Like, to the point of nodding out, like eyes rolling in the back of the head, super fucked up. And no one is exactly sure what she took. But there is kind of a consensus that when she showed up at the house, she was already super loaded. 
I mean, at one point she goes into a bathroom and it's a dark bathroom. She doesn't even turn the lights on. She stays in this dark bathroom for 20 minutes. And I'm assuming she just kind of nodded out in there. But she is so high that at one point she's trying to, I guess, make out with one of the foster brothers, which is super out of character for Carissa because apparently she wasn't very fond of this guy. So that's the level of fucked up this girl is. And keep in mind, she's 16 years old. So she gets there. Her dad is there. Foster mom is there. They're all just kind of hanging out. And most of the information I'm getting about this night is coming from her brother, Chris. And the way Chris got the information was directly from the mouths of these people. And check this out. They all have different stories. I would love to know what kind of stories they would tell if the police were questioning them because that never happened. The people that were with her that night were never fucking questioned by the Turlock Police Department. And that's fuckery number one. Just get ready because there's a whole goddamn list of it in this story. So according to Carissa's foster mom, she told Chris that she last saw Carissa lying down kind of in this little loft area asleep. And the foster mom says at that point she goes to bed and doesn't see Carissa again. Now keep that all in mind because that statement gets contradicted a little bit later. According to the biological brother, he says the last time he saw Carissa was leaving the house getting into a white truck, but he says he's not sure who this white truck belonged to. And keep in mind, one of the foster brothers does own a white truck, but everyone's saying it's not possible he left with her because they're saying he was at the house all night. Now, the foster mom a few days after initially telling Chris that she last saw Carissa sleeping on this loft bed, she then tells him that she believes she saw Carissa leave in the white truck belonging to a man named Corey Kaufman. Now, Corey Kaufman is a whole nother fucking podcast in itself. Now, Corey ends up getting murdered Three CHP officers are charged with murder in the case, and it's a whole shit show. This all happens three months after Carissa vanished. And Carissa and Corey's relationship apparently were just friends. Earlier in the night, she had, I guess, told Corey that she had feelings for him, that she wanted to date him, start a relationship, all that kind of stuff. But Corey wasn't fucking around with that statutory rape shit. So he shoots down that idea, which, you know, obviously upsets Carissa. And she calls her sister super upset about it. And her sister's, you know, talking to her, calming her down. And Carissa goes on with the night and heads over to the foster mom's house after the Corey Kaufman incident. So Chris says he doesn't exactly believe the statement that Carissa left with Corey Kaufman that night, but he's not sure who to believe in this whole shit show. So like I said, we've got a foster brother saying that he saw her leave in a white truck, but he doesn't know who. We also have a biological brother saying that. Then we have the foster mom saying that she actually left with Corey Kaufman. 
So the next day, check this out. The sheriff's department comes to the foster mom's house and everybody gets evicted. And during this eviction process, there are allegations that the sheriff's department does drugs with these people staying at the house. Now, obviously, there's no proof, but there's just so much fuckery with the police. That's the only reason I'm even bringing it up. I'm not a fucking cop hater. I'm not trying to fucking just like mad talk shit about all the police departments. And I do want to point out it was 2011. Turlock PD is a super small department, especially back then. And maybe they didn't have protocols for missing people. Because it took them two to three months to actually start looking at her social media posts. And in no time did they ever request any phone or bank records for Carissa. And you think with a missing 16-year-old, let's check social media, let's check phone. You think that would be some of the first things that happened. But that's not at all what happened. And some of her family think that the Turlock PD kind of looked down on the family. They had had some kind of run-ins with the law before, and Carissa was in foster care. So they kind of feel like maybe the police department felt like she was just a throwaway kid, not really worth looking into. Last year, when I first started the case, I called Turlock PD, and I spoke to Detective Red. Initially, he called me right back, And I just kind of explained that I was doing a podcast, looking into Carissa Shell's vanishing. And he immediately made it clear to me that he had inherited the case. And if you look online, they actually list about five different detectives on her case. So it's almost like her case is just getting shoved off to different detectives. So he didn't give me much information. He did tell me he was involved in the Corey Kaufman murder case. So it's like, okay, he's a, he, he actually didn't even know that Corey Kaufman and Carissa had a relationship until I told him that day. But later on, you know, I, I actually went to the Turlock Police Department. I had a list of questions for him, and I guess he couldn't be bothered to respond. And it's like I'm putting my time, my money, my effort into researching what happened to this girl, and this police department can't even lift a finger to try to help out. Like, I'm not trying to step on toes. I'm trying to keep Carissa's name out there and alive because everyone seems to have forgotten about her except for her, you know, immediate family. So, Turlock PD, what's going on? What's up with Carissa's case? Now, during the recording of the second episode featuring Carissa, I had actually got some new information about some boys with a white truck. These boys' last name is Souza. And there were three of them, and they're brothers. And check this out. These fucking kids get charged with a whole bunch of fucking crazy charges, including kidnapping, just a couple of months after Carissa vanished. And there's different rumors and word on the street that that night she had plans with one of the Sousa boys. And apparently these guys have a couple acres in this super rural town called Oakdale. Oakdale, California, which people say their setup is kind of a compound situation. There's a couple acres with different people living there, and it would be a prime area to get rid of a body if needed. And, you know, if Chris is this fucked up going into the night, nodding out already, and she gets with a couple of jackasses that then say, hey, give her some alcohol, which is a downer, 
bad things could have happened. So many bad things could have happened. But we don't even know if Carissa actually left this house because there's so many different stories regarding those last, you know, few minutes where people supposedly saw her or didn't see her leave. Maybe Turlock PD needs to start by rounding up all these motherfuckers she was with that night and questioning them to find out what they say happened. Hmm. Turlock PD also never bothered to question her brother, Chris, and he's got so much information on the case. I think he could have been a wealth of knowledge for them, but they never reached out. And Chris has actually gotten some disturbing information since Carissa has vanished. Somebody actually sent Carissa's brother, Chris, a video of a girl tied up on a swing set. This girl is screaming because there's a man there with a stick on fire and he keeps poking this girl. Now, the person that sent him this video told him this was Carissa. And he watched the video and heard the girl's screams and cries. And he's 100% convinced that this is his sister being tortured on a swing set. There's also other rumors that she was taken by cartel members for sex trafficking. She was right there in that age range. She looks super fucking young. And there actually had been prior threats to her family that she could be taken and sold for sex trafficking. So there's a lot of different angles to this case. There's been pictures sent to different family members. They're like stills of different porns. And these stills are of a girl that looks remarkably like Carissa. So can you imagine being this girl's family and having to watch nasty ass porn to see if this is your daughter, sister, to watch a video of a girl being tortured with fire, thinking this is your sister crying out in pain as some soulless, cruel asshole is burning her. So it's probably like a living fucking nightmare. Hopefully with this new lead, Turlock PD suddenly just got, hopefully that leads them somewhere and kind of lets a fire under their ass. And, you know, I don't know if they can go back 10 years and get cell phone records or bank records or anything like that but I know they can go find these people and question them and a lot of things change in 10 years people change and perhaps someone wasn't talking because they were afraid the situation they were in was bad and they knew if they talked bad things could happen I've been told multiple times that it can get very dangerous looking for Carissa out there in Turlock so I get it but it's been 10 years, so circumstances may have changed. So, like I said, the case is super fucking complicated. It intersects with the murder of Corey Kaufman, and there's just so many different people involved, and no evidence, police reports, stuff like that was taken at the time the police report was filed. No luminol was sprayed anywhere, nothing. But, I mean, if you want, like, the super fine details of Carissa's case, you can go back and listen to her episodes. I'm going to apologize now. There's shitty quality. <laughs> it was our second episode, and I literally had to teach myself how to fucking edit. I had to teach myself how to record from the ground up. And Carissa was episode number two. So I apologize for the quality. But if you want the super fine details, go check out those episodes. 
if you have any information about what happened with Carissa that night, you can call the Turlock PD and ask for Detective Red or his supervisor at area code 209-668-5550. Or you can send me an email at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com or go to Instagram and search Vanished in the Valley Athena. You can go to the Facebook because I am kind of checking it a little bit more regularly at this point. Go there, shoot me a line, tell me what you know, and maybe we can get some information for her family. Maybe we can even find Carissa and put this whole nightmare to rest. So now is the point where I'm going to talk about what I think happened. So if you are related to her or, you know, kind of sensitive on the subject, go ahead and tune out now. So due to the fact that everyone is saying she came over to this house super high, nodding out to the point where she's falling asleep in a bathroom, I personally think she overdosed that night at the house and died. I think the people at the house panicked and got rid of her body. Instead of calling 911, maybe they were afraid, maybe they were high themselves, maybe they had given her the drugs. Who knows? But the way that all of these stories are different, combined with the fact that it's pretty, uh, it's pretty well agreed upon that she was super out of her mind, nodding out high, which is very dangerous. And back then in 2010, 2011, the opioid epidemic was kind of peaking. You know, the DEA had not stepped in at this point. The drug dealer doctors were still throwing OxyContin at you for a fucking allergies. So it would have been super easy for her to get her hands on a type of opiate, whether it be a pill or heroin itself. Now, it has been said people at the house were using heroin that night. So it's not too far of a leap to think that something happened to her with drugs and she unfortunately lost her life like so many other hundreds of thousands of Americans. This uh, opiate epidemic is still going on. It's killed so many more people than this fucking pandemic. I'm not even going to get started on that. But... Uh, Yeah, that's my opinion, unfortunately. I think she's gone, and I think people panicked and got rid of her body. I did just want to thank Chris, her brother, for the information and letting me interview him, and Courtney for filling in a lot more details. Courtney has been around with Vanished in the Valley since fucking episode number two. She's the admin on our Vanished in the Valley crew page on Facebook, So she's the bomb and she's literally been there since day one. And I just have to say, girl, you the bomb. I love you. So check this out, guys. There are going to be some changes coming up with Vanished in the Valley. So I've always said I don't want to do those annoying ass commercials like go to blah, blah, blah website and enter Vanish code 65 and you'll get a 10% blah, blah, blah. I don't want to do that. It always annoys me when I hear it in other people's podcasts. And I'm not talking shit. I fucking get it. It's expensive to produce a podcast. It's fucking time consuming. I get it 100%. But the way I was doing it is when somebody would, I guess, uh, send us money to support the show, I would produce a bonus episode for everyone to listen to. 
But that's not working because, you know, I'd get somebody that would support us and become a producer, but then it would be crunch time and I'd try to be getting these episodes out super fast and the quality just wasn't there. So the way I'm going to do it now is through Podbean. And what you can do is sign up there. There's going to be bonus episodes and you pay X amount of money either per bonus episode or per month. I don't have the exact numbers yet because I haven't even set it up. But that's where Vanish in the Valley is going to go in the future. So you don't have to listen to me try to fucking sell you meal kits and fucking hair dye. <laughs> in between talking about gruesome fucking murders and vanished people. So check back on Podbean. That shit's coming up. I'll definitely update you when everything is up and rolling. But between now and then, there won't be any bonus episodes. That's all going to be saved for the premium channel there. But go check out Podbean. Just go to podbean.com backslash Vanished in the Valley or even just vanishedinthevalley.com and it'll bring you there too. Go check it out there. You can leave comments and I'm more likely to see them there than anywhere else. I don't really fuck around with Apple or any of those other things. So, and you know, you contact me through the email vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com or the Instagram. I'm also on Parlor. I just, I'm not there very often because there's nothing going on and it just seems like the same old posts and it's just not fun. They don't have reptile shit there. They don't, they don't have much going on in Parlor. If more people would get their asses over there and quote unquote diversify it, it might be a little bit more fun to hang out on and, you know, get in contact with different people. But it's just not there as of right now. So, and like I said a little bit earlier, I have been on the Facebook account a little bit more often than I was before. So you can go check that out and check out the Vanished in the Valley crew page. Go join up. I'm actually on that page more than any of the other ones. So go there, join the page, see what's up. And before I run out of here, I just have to talk about one more little thing. So if you are like some OG listeners, back when the coronavirus was like mid-swing, I'd say like April, May, I gained hell of weight. And I told you guys about it. And I said, I will work my ass off. I'm going to lose this weight, get rid of it. And I finally now just got back to my pre-rona weight. It took fucking nearly, it was like 9, 10 months to lose 15 pounds. It was so much easier gaining that shit than it was losing it. And let me tell you, getting sun poisoning definitely helped cover the last 5 pounds of losing that shit. But I'm glad I lost it. I can fit back into my regular clothes. And much respect to everyone out there trying to lose their Rona weight. I feel your pain. That shit is no joke. But keep it up. And, you know, one day you fuck up and eat hella chocolate like I did a couple of times. The next day's a new day. Start over. And, you know, kick that weight in the ass. Get it off. <laughs> so that's about it for this wonderful episode of Vanished in the Valley. Uh, you know how to get a hold of me. If you have anything you want to say, do that. But as I always tell you, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Cha-cha.